Welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm Gips Dairy Extension Officer Karen Romano, and today we'll be talking with Yarram District Farmer Aaron Thomas about how and why his life collapsed around him, and perhaps more importantly, how he rebuilt it. To cut what's a long story a bit shorter, I might give you a quick fast forward through the events that led to Aaron's physical and mental deterioration. In the middle of yet another tough season at the Binjamwari farm, he managed for one runs uh, Paul and Lisa Mumford. Aaron's relationship with his partner broke down and she left, taking their three children with her. He was drinking far too much at the time. People close to him died and unresolved issues from childhood were starting to bubble to the surface. Remarkably, the former Weekly Times Farm of the Year finalist maintained a facade of normality that finally came crashing down in January 2017, leaving a trail of emotional pain and financial hardship behind him. This podcast is about exploring how Aaron made his way back from the brink of how the support of the dairy community, and in particular, Paul and Lisa Mumford, have helped him get his life back on track. Welcome, Aaron, and thanks for sharing your story with our listeners. Thanks for having me, Kaz. No worries. Uh, can you take us back, Aaron, to the weeks before you collapsed and what was your day-to-day routine at that, at that time? Well, the weeks before, um, sometimes they're a bit fuzzy, um, mainly because I was drunk pretty much every day. Um, so sometimes my routine would be I wouldn't get out of bed um, because I couldn't. Um, whether it be physically, uh, emotionally, mentally, um, sometimes rage and hangover from the day before. And then it would take me until about 11, 30, 12 o'clock. I would um, get up, attend to the cows. Um, I think sometimes I look back and I, I had a, a perception that the cows weren't suffering, but they were. Um, but I was telling myself that they weren't. They always had plenty of feed, they always had plenty of water, so I want to make that clear. But, you know, they were waiting for me. They were, you know, waiting for me to milk and, and I was skipping milkings. <clears throat> so normally I would um, start drinking again at um, anywhere between 11.30 and 12 o'clock, especially in January it was hot. Typical Australian thing to do is grab a beer, um, and then I would set about doing some chores. Some days it was manic in terms of go like a cut snake. Um, some days I wouldn't skip milking, um, but, you know, I'd get up and get going and, and things would, would be somewhat normal, even though I was drinking while I was doing it. I was very, um, I was very sneaky. Um, obviously I was on my own, so I could get away with it. Um, but I was a functioning alcoholic, so you could come and talk to me and it'd be like talking now, um, it'd be fine. Um, but as soon as that person had left or back was turned, um, it was just back to what I was doing. Um, whether it would be spraying thistles with a six pack of beer or moving silage with an esky in the tractor with beers, alcohol was my, um, it was my pain relief. When I look back at it now, it was... It was an antidepressant, even though it was making me even more clinically depressed. But mm. I, 
I couldn't see that at the time. Um, it was a pain relief. So it did stop you thinking about your absolutely. woes and your worries. Absolutely. Life was cherry ripe. Cruising along, nice summer's day, spraying weeds, drinking beers. Giddy up, life was grand. And, and at that <clears throat> stage, you were working uh, for Paul and Lisa, yes. and they didn't see any signs. Oh, they knew. Or... They knew. Paul and Lisa knew. Um, so I was. This was about three three years into um, me moving to Binjamari. Mm. Paul and Lisa knew. Um, I've been with them since two thousand and seven. Always was a pretty good drinker. Um, nowhere near as bad when I was at One Ron prior to going to Binjamari, but. Mm. You know, there was always I was always having a beer of an evening, and and but I think I was somewhat under control because I knew I had Paul and Lisa looking over my mm. over my shoulder, I suppose. Um, and then it really spiraled out of control at Binjamari in the last twelve months when Vanessa left, um, and I was on my own, yeah. so I didn't have to hide it. I didn't have to uh, worry about being questioned. I didn't have mm. to worry about. I didn't have to worry about anything. I could just no accountability. No accountability, and I was it was just open slather. It was just um, going. It was just holus bolus. So, so what happened? What was the trigger? Um, and when did it happen to make you suddenly realise I've hit the wall? Um, it was it was kind of like people say like a light bulb moment, but my light bulb shattered. Um, and I just, I just collapsed into a hell of a, a, a hell of a state. Um, I'd been to Paul and Lisa's a couple of times for functions out there and they could see that I was, um, out of control. Um, especially with my, with my, with my alcohol habits, they, they could see I was out of control. I was completely out of control. And, um, the minute I rang Paul, and said, you need to come here now. Um, yeah, and that was on the 20th of January. And for me, it was just, yeah, it, it wasn't a light bulb moment where there was a vision of light. It was the complete opposite. It, my world went, um, it went black, dark, and I knew, I think deep down I knew I was ready. I think for some reason I, I acknowledged that, this was going to kill me. Well, it nearly did because suicide was um, attempted once that was unsuccessful um, because I was disturbed. Um, and I knew that was only probably a few days before me making the call to Paul and saying, please come up. And then, um, yeah, and I basically had to wait three days to get into a doctor, which I chose to go to foster because I didn't, I didn't know who I was going to see in Yarra mm. and who I was going to bump into mm. because, yeah, I was completely emotionally, physically um, destroyed. Yeah. The, yeah, it, it just, it was interesting. It's, it's very hard to describe it, but um, it just, it just, everything stopped. Everything stopped. Um, my brain stopped, my body stopped, just everything stopped. I just, I had exhausted, exhausted every last ounce of energy, mental capacity, physical capacity, emotional capacity. It was gone. Just it was zapped. Up. Just yeah. gave up. Yeah. 
So that was January 2017. Yep. You got into the doctors after three days. Mm-hmm. Tell us what happened then. Um, well, I remember um, I asked Paul to come with me to the doctors because I had a, I had a feeling I would have bullshitted my way through it. Because um, I kind of, when I, when I came clean to Paul and Lisa, I felt good, like I did feel relieved, but then it started to build up again and I thought, I can't go through with it. I, I, can't, I can't acknowledge, I didn't want to, at that stage, I didn't want to, um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go through with what I had started three days ago by saying to Paul and Lisa that I was stuffed. So you'd stopped <clears throat> drinking completely? 20th of January. And so three days without having a drink. But the day before, the day before, I drank about 40 stubbies of beer. So on the 20th of January, I was pretty crook. Oh, um, not just mentally, but I was, I was, um, I was sick. Mm. Um, so the 20th of January, uh, yeah, 2017 was the last day of touched alcohol. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So... Yeah, it was um, very tough, but I can, yeah, that's, a, that's another story. Mm. So, yeah, I got to the doctors and back to your question, I asked Paul to come with me um, because I knew, um, I had a feeling that I was going to um, not come clean or, you know, say to the doctor, oh, I'm having a bit of a rough time, go back home, probably with a slab of beer and, and, um, and hop on the merry-go-round again. So... Um, Paul was a little bit reluctant, but he came along and for the first 15 minutes of a 35 minute consult, I did not say a word. So Paul, um, basically told my doctor the backstory, told the doctor everything. Mm. And so then therefore I could not get out of it. Mm. I had to follow through with it. I had to, um, and I had to acknowledge it and, that was probably one of the hardest days of my life was sitting in there with um, someone telling someone else that I'd never met, basically that I was a nutcase. I was a basket case. I was a wreck. Um, but yeah, so that was, um, that was tough. But I can say with confidence, it was also the start of an, an amazing journey. And so you, you have um, gone through um, many parts of the health system because yep. of the state you're in. Mm-hmm. Would you like to share uh, what it was like going through that process? Yep. Um, so the first consult at the doctor, um, basically it was very clinical. So in terms of clinical, there was blood tests done. There was um, a mental health plan put in place, which I agreed to. Um, and then there was basically, from that day on, I think there was three to four appointments a week for three months straight. So it was very clinical. Um, so there was doctor's appointments, there was psychiatric appointments, there was mental health um, plan um, care appointments with a mental health nurse practitioner. And that went on for three months. Um, so I made the conscious decision on that day to throw my my life into the hands of the medical staff that I had gathered around me in three days. 
And, and where were you? Were you, were you back at your ha- home? Or, I was um... still at Binjamori. Um, so I was only at Binjamori for about 14 days mm-hmm. after that day. Um, so we made a, a, a conscious decision. So myself, Paul, Lisa and Damien Becker, who was managing the One Run Farm, to do a swap. Um, so I needed to come home. One run was always home. Um, and at that stage, Damien was looking, was getting a bit itchy feet. It was looking for the, the next move. So basically we just did a complete swap. So I came home to one run and for four months, I was basically under strict seven day a week supervision by Paul and Lisa um, even though I was working, I was doing my jobs, I was doing my chores, but um, I, I don't think I would have made it if I hadn't have come back home to one room. So would you say Paul and Lisa's uh, response has been critical um, to your recovery? Yes, absolutely. Um, there's two parts to that. So I went to Binjamwari um, with relatively little to no support partly my fault because I had this big persona I had this facade that um I I, I was handling it and I probably was for the first 18 months um I mean I got recognized as weekly time um finalist dairy farmer um but it was all fake it was all a facade it was all exhausting um you know yeah it was tough but Definitely, definitely um, from the 24th of January onwards, um, having Paul and Lisa, well, they saved my life. Mm. I can guarantee you, they're they're my family. I can guarantee you that if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be doing this podcast Mm. because I'd be dead. It's as simple as that. So they're they're just um, amazing people and it's a great um, story to hear that, um, your employers um, cared so much, and yeah. you are you are family. Yeah, to, I'm to family. Them. Yeah, there's a no knock policy, so you know they don't. They just well at the front door. <laughs> so yeah, I'm glad you cleared that up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, there are family to you. Um, mm-hmm. Their respect is really important to you. Yeah. So it must have. Um, felt um, like you'd let them down a little bit, did it, with what had happened? Like, how did you cope with yeah. that? Um, yeah, this is always a tough question. That's something that I live with on a day-to-day basis, and it's something that I'm probably 60% comfortable with. Um, it's taken a lot of work, but I think... Um, I've, I often say that the, the only way that I feel I can repay Paul and Lisa is doing what I'm doing now, today, running the one run farm in Paul's absence, um, you know, allowing him to do his off-field, off-farm um, work with, with UDV and for him to come home and not have to worry about the farm one bit. And same with Lisa. Lisa doesn't have to worry about the farm. Um, everyone comes to me for um, what's going on, contractors, whatnot. 
So for me, that's something that I, I go to sleep with at night and rest well, knowing that I'm, even though they were with me while I got better, for probably, it took 12 months. So it was a 12-month massive commitment on behalf of Paul and Lisa and the extended family, um, the Mumford kids, Paul and Lisa's um, parents, they all rallied behind me. Um, and so for me, the only way I can, for me, the only way I can feel I can repay that favour is by running, running the one run farm to the best of my ability and, and giving that 150% while Paul concentrates on his, on his UDV role. Mm. And I think uh, for us as parents, you and I, it shows that um, doesn't matter what happens or what you do for our children, and they treat you as their child. That um, it can always be made better. Um, yes, that, absolutely. Yeah, their yep. family's there, and it's important, yep. and they're they're the rock. They are uh, that can hold you and the yep, glue for uh, sure to keep things together. Yep. So um, cycling's become an important part of your life, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what it's done for you? Sure. Um, so. Uh, a mutual friend, um, I'm going to name him by the name of Evan Campbell, got me into um, cycling. So uh, we did a, a, a DDLP um, uh, project together and um, he got me into it. And I had an old an old rusty danger in the shed that I, I used to kick around on but never took it up real seriously. And I went for a couple of rides with Evan and thought, oh, this is... This does something. It um, it almost replaces the antidepress- antidepressant medication that I still take, um, which I've been able to scale back because I think my physical um, physical health has improved, and so therefore there's got a direct correlation with your mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and cycling for me is a way to um unwind so cycling almost has replaced what alcohol was doing to me um i go out on my bike and i don't have to think Mm. i just ride and just just be me Mm. um and yeah it's become a massive part of my life massive part um where i do on average between 200 and 250 k's a week oh my um, so I, I get up in the morning and ride before milking. So I'm out at four sometimes in the mornings or I'll go out over an evening and ride. Um, and yeah, and I've, I've, um, it's, it's almost become a, uh, um, an obsession. Mm-hmm. So I'm part of a, a group called Cycle Well, um, which does Cycle Well camps that focus on blokes, mental health, wellness, that and cycling, mm. um, so I, I'm heavily involved with them. Um, I also this year did the Tour de Cure for cancer research in honour of my mum, and yeah, and I'm I think I've got three big rides coming up this year. So I'm doing the Amy Grand Fondo around Lawn, then month after doing around the Bay in a day, and then the month after doing the Bendigo Classic. Oh, certainly, super so fit. It's yeah, it's something that if I, do, I feel like if I don't get on the bike at least once or twice a week, it, I, I feel I start getting agitated. I feel um, like there's something missing. So, so it gives you a sense of purpose and yep. it's and, 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 and it gives me, gives me mental relief. Mm. 
because mm. you just cycle and mm. you don't think. Yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, kudos to Evan. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That. Um, Thank you. That's great from that perspective too. So, Aaron, um, how important has the wider dairy community, uh, um, how important has it been to you as well in your recovery and how important is it to you now? Um, super important. Um, I think the wider dairy community have helped me um, indirectly. Um, and so they've helped me because um, I've been so... If I can go back a little bit. So on the 20th of January 2017, I decided that I'm all in. I'm bearing it all. Um, I'm going to tell everybody everything, whether they like it or not, and it's going to be raw and as honest as can be. Um, so for me, I share my story. People send me really nice messages saying, shit, Aaron, we had no idea. Mm. Why didn't you tell us? Mm. So the dairy community have helped me. It's been indirect because it, the people that I associate with within the dairy community never judge me. So that made it easier. So that's how I refer to them as being indirectly such a support role because no one ever judged me. Mm. No one ever blocked my phone calls. No one ever come up to me and said, I don't want to speak to you again because mm. you're a disgrace. Mm. It never happened. Mm. And I was petrified of that. I was petrified of losing friends. I think I gained more respect from my colleagues in the dairy industry than I ever had beforehand. Because I've manned up to it, I've owned it, mm. and I'm doing something with it. And that's how they've helped me. And they still help me. Nights like our night in Yarram tonight, like the podcast, yeah. you got, it's unbelievable when people ring you and say, we want to hear your story, Aaron. Can you tell us? Mm. You know, Danny Butler from Gibbs Dairy rings me up, can we do an article on you? You know, I'm like, yeah, sure, man. And and brings me to tears in my own kitchen because it's just so open and people accept people accept it and you don't have to be afraid of it. And it, um, it does help you telling your story because you think it can help perhaps others? Yes, um, for sure. Um, that's probably a main um, driver for me. Um I've always said I don't want to know if I've helped someone um, because I think I'm so at peace that I know deep in my heart I would have somewhere along the line. But I don't want people to ring me and say, oh, Aaron, you saved my husband or oh, you saved me from, you know, from the unthinkable. I don't want to know about it. I just go to bed at night knowing that I've, I've, I share my story. I, I, I give people advice if they want it they can take it if they don't that's fair enough but it's out there and for me making it out there hopefully is going to smash the stigma mm. that gives people the confidence and the ability to to even take a small step it doesn't have to be a huge massive one like I did but if they just take a small step and talk to their partner or talk to their wife or talk to another farmer and say hey look mate you know things are pretty rough at the minute Hopefully that conversation leads to a, a greater good, and I just I just deep down know that it it will happen somewhere. Um, 
but yeah, I, I definitely am not doing it for, for people to come back to me and say, oh, you saved my life, you know, it's amazing. I, I don't, it might sound selfish, but I don't want to know about it. Mm. I, I just want to share my story and I want to help people indirectly mm. through storytelling, mm. through yeah. sharing, and yeah. that hopefully that will work. Very generous uh, to be able to do that, to help so many so um, we mentioned your um, three girls yes. at the start of the conversation yep. and your ex-partner. Mm-hmm. Um, where are you at with them? Um, um, absolutely amazing relationship. So Brianna, Alexi and Evie, my girls, um, they, my, at my house is feral. So they, they come and go as much as they please. Um, my relationship with Vanessa, we're, we're friends. We're very good friends. I mean, at the end of the day, we've we've we we had three children together. So, for us, for me personally, it was um and it was never a, a non negotiable. We had to get on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vanessa has been incredibly supportive of um of me, especially the last few years since I've you know I've opened up. We're, we're really good friends, and um and her new partner is you know is a great bloke and we get on really well. There's no my kids, your kids, you know, all that male macho crap. It's non-existent. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's like having friends come, come to the door and and to the house and we have cups of tea and coffee together. We have lunches together. You know, they came down and, and watched me cross the tour, the line at tour to cure. We spent the weekend in Geelong together. It's, it's it's fantastic. So you, you yeah. So you've still got that great relationship, yep. good support, absolutely, and, and still get to enjoy your beautiful girls. Oh yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. All, all the time. It's great. So so looking back, um, yep. we've covered a lot of territory today. Yes. But are you are you glad um, uh, that the facade did finally crumble and you, you've gone on to see oh, how great life absolutely. is Absolutely. I yeah. I never expected life to be as good as what it is. Yeah. Um, because I think I possibly never experienced it. Um, deep down, I knew who the real Aaron was, and I knew he was there. Um, and I'm absolutely it, life for me. Life can't get much better. Um, I've got my health back. Um, I've got my family around me. I've still got Paul and Lisa, the Mumford family around me. My kids are around me. My cycling is getting better and bigger and greater and and I get to physically and emotionally share my story with so many people and I'm absolutely I say it again if it didn't collapse I'd be dead mm. and that's all there is to it so we're lucky uh, to still have you and this has happened for a reason uh, I think so yeah so how um, are you still passionate about dairy do you still love dairy farming Aaron? Yes, I do. Um, very much. It's it's my life. Um, you know, it consumes my life. Uh, you know, as much as my family, it dairy is. It's what I do. Um, I've done it for fifteen years now, um, and I can imagine doing it probably for another fifteen, twenty odd years. Um, yeah, I, I love it, and it's such. It's an amazing industry to be in, even though the last three years beside myself and my own personal journey it's been also incredibly tough three Mm -hmm. years for the industry with all the turmoil that it has gone through um and we're still not through it yet there's still a little way to go before i think we're we're smooth sailing but for me 
there's two sides of industry. There's the industry that I work in on a day-to-day basis, milking cows, feeding cows, growing grass, all that type of stuff. And there's also the industry that I'm involved in with outside of farming, like events in Yarram, with the Gibbs Dairy Team, uh, UDV. UDV role. Um, and that, I'm lucky. I see two sides. I see the, I see the internal run-ins behind it all and I see the the on, on the coal face as well so yeah I, I, I love it and I'm you might not say you've got the best of both worlds really. oh I, I think so yeah. yeah yeah one last question for you Aaron um, and that's that is what would you say to farmers or anyone who's battling with me- mental health issues like you were it's a it's a tough question to answer i think because there's two sides of it so there's the side where i can clinically tell you go and see a doctor ring beyond blue ring um you know all these helplines and have a yak to them or speak to family but deep down you've got to you've also got to be ready and you've got to be able to acknowledge that there's something going on. That might seem sound a bit harsh, but it's actually the truth. So all I can say is, especially to blokes, um, is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because you're not going to be judged. You're not going to be um, called a coward or weak or all those other pub words that might come about without swearing on the podcast. You, you just got to make the first step. And even if it's a, the smallest step where you just tell your partner, your wife, your neighbour, or just make a doctor's appointment and don't tell anyone and just go to the doctor if that's how you feel comfortable all I can urge is, is take the first step. Mm. It doesn't matter how big it is. As long as you take the first step forward, do not go back. Mm. Mm. Um, it's, it's sometimes hard advice to give because everybody is in different stages of it. But I just plead with anybody um, who's listening, just if, if you think there's something going on, try your very hardest to acknowledge it. Don't keep burying it because eventually it'll explode. Yeah, it won't go away. It won't go away. Mental health issues are not like a cold or a flu. You can't take Panadol and expect it to just dissipate or go away. You can suppress it through whatever means you think you can, but it will always be there without professional help. It will always be there. And I just urge anybody to just take a step forward. Doesn't matter how big, doesn't matter who, just make 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 some conscious effort to, to speak to someone. Well, thanks, Aaron, so much. I, I love your passion, um, your courage, and, and just your, your honesty um, and your preparedness to, uh, to share your story in the hope that um, someone else who might be um, be in the position that you were in might actually be able to climb out of that and um, live life and and see how great it is mm. and um, the way you have as well.
That's all I hope for, Karen. And thanks to our listeners. I hope you've got something out of Aaron's experience. If anyone wants to get in contact with Aaron, just call Gipps Dairy Office on 0356 243900 and we will pass on your details. Thanks for listening and watch out for more Dairy Pod episodes in coming weeks. Mm-hmm.